Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Again, uh, I'm Pastor Diana, one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship, and it is truly an honor uh, and a joy to be here with you this morning. I have some pretty exciting news. Uh, In January, we started on our journey through the Bible, covering one or two books uh, every single Sunday. And today, we are more than halfway through the New Testament, and we only have eight books to go to be done with the entire Bible. So I think we deserve a hand, right? I can't believe it. I can't believe that we're here. And I hope that you have enjoyed the journey. I know I have. I know that I've learned so much throughout this year. Um, Every time you read the Bible, there is something new that can come and grab your heart. Today, we're going to be focusing on the book of Hebrews. And we have a couple of little facts with this book. The book of Hebrews has 13 chapters. It was written approximately in 65 AD. The author of the book is unknown. But because of the first couple of chapters in the book that talk about the Old uh, Covenant, the Old Testament, and the Torah, most scholars believe that it was a letter written to Jewish Christians. And we read that the people were being persecuted and imprisoned, and some were walking away from Jesus and abandoning their faith. Now, the theme and the purpose of Hebrews was to encourage Jewish Christians to hold on to their faith and not turn back to the law. He is reminding them that Jesus is superior to the angels, superior to the priests. Jesus is their sacrifice, their high priest, and their mediator. And maybe at this point you're wondering, well, that's great for them, but how does that apply to us? And I want to say that that message still applies to us today. Jesus is superior to anything we might leave behind as we become believers in Christ. He is our sacrifice. He is our high priest. He is our mediator and worthy of every bit of our confidence. What I found unique as I was reading this book, and it really struck me, was that it doesn't matter where you are on your journey. This book has something for you. So if you're starting here and you're wondering, you know, is this Jesus who I want to follow? Is this something that I want to do for real? There's something for you in the book of Hebrews. If you've been a Christian for a while and things aren't going quite like you thought they should go, there's something for you. And for those of you who have been on this journey for a really long time, There's a message for you in the book of Hebrews. Our key verse for today is Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20. And it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Bible 
is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the word testament comes from a word that means covenant. So the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, and the New Testament is the New Covenant. The word covenant in the Bible means a strong, solemn agreement between two parties, God and man, and we will see that it is between people as well. Under the old covenant between God and man, you had to sacrifice animals and spill blood to cover over your sins. Okay, it was to cover over your sins. This was something that had to be done continually by the priest because the priest had to be clean before God, before they could enter the temple, before they could do anything. But it was also true of the people. They had to continually spill blood to cover over their sins. But through the scriptures, we see that a new covenant was going to eventually start. And we see that with this new covenant, there will also be a new agreement. We read in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That covenant spoken about in Jeremiah is the new covenant confirmed here in the book of Hebrews. When Jesus sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me, he shed his blood once and for all, never needing to be done again so that our sins would be forgiven, not covered over like in the old covenant, but forgiven. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice without blemish that forgives, not covering over like in the Old Testament, but forgiving completely. Hebrews is making it clear to us that the new covenant is true. It is real, and it is an everlasting covenant that is still available today. See, we're heading, right, into the Christmas season. Some of us don't want to miss Thanksgiving, but Christmas is all around us. The stores are packed. We're heading into that season, the season that celebrates the birth of Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus, to be born so that he could then one day lay his life on the cross so that we could have a way to him. Amen. His death on the cross forgives our sins, forgives our iniquities. If and when we choose to acknowledge him as our high priest. Let's go to our key verse, Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever 
after the order of Melchizedek. It is Jesus who has entered into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Remember, I don't know if you were here, but we went through the tabernacle. We did that here as a church. And Jesus entered into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, and he brings us with him. Our salvation is secure, and we continue by faith and patience to walk in him, obedient to God, hopeful, our soul anchored in him. It means that we will indeed make it to the end and receive our inheritance. See, there are three key points in that verse that we read. And the first one is we have this hope. The hope is the certainty of the promise of God. His promise is that we will receive our inheritance. We have this hope because he declares that we have it. And he has secured it by way of the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. The second point in this verse is, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is not only a conceptual hope. It is an anchor for the soul. And by that hope, we are firm and we are secure. Being anchored in one soul, it paints a powerful image of the perfect peace that Jesus secures for us. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. We are grounded in truth and the righteousness of Christ as we are sanctified. This is more and more lived out in the ones who are truly saved by faith and follow after God, waiting for the return of Christ. And the third point, In this verse is that it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered behind the curtain on our behalf, and our hope is entirely in him. This implies that in the newness of life, we can approach the throne of the Father in heaven, full of the boldness of a son and a daughter. There should be no fear for us to come before the Lord, because he has made a way for us. He went in there before us so that we can approach him. Much like the Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews, we're facing a lot of adversity in our lives, right? There are all kinds of things going on around us. People are being persecuted for their beliefs. We've got all kinds of divisions and things happening in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, in our nation, and even in the church. And many are growing weary. Many have grown weary. And many have sadly walked away and abandoned their faith. As I read through Hebrews, the word anchored came up over and over again. And our theme for the year has been to be anchored in Christ. And that is what we must be in order to keep moving forward and not give up and walk away from our high priest. And today we're going to talk about three things we should anchor ourselves to. You with me? I think I need a little water. The first thing we should anchor ourselves to is God's grace. God's grace. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 say, Since 
Then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Although Jesus was tempted, he never sinned, making him a perfect high priest, because he is able to sympathize with us. He overcame temptation and was obedient to God. Our perfect high priest is in heaven, sympathizing with our weaknesses. And he wants to help us. He's not glaring down at us, wondering why or how come you're struggling with this or why is this going on? He's not doing that. He is sympathizing with what we're going through. And he is rooting for you. He is rooting for me. He is rooting for us to succeed and wants to help us if we call on him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You cannot save yourself by doing good works. Doesn't matter what you do. That's not the way. You must be anchored to God's grace. Jesus came and brought saving grace for us. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, we've in the past talked about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was in so many storms, right? So much, many trials and tribulations. But God's grace always saw him through. Paul spent many years in prison, but he didn't sit there doing nothing. He didn't sit there wondering, when am I going to get out of here? When is relief coming? Why am I here? Why am I going through this? He didn't sit there and do that. Instead, he wrote many books of the Bible while he was in prison. See, Paul was a real man of God, and he gave himself over to the love and faith of God just like Jesus did. We have to take our stand for the Lord, but we cannot do that without grace. We must have the favor of God, and we must walk in the righteousness and holiness of him. Grace is available to each and every one of us if we choose to anchor ourselves to God's grace. And the second thing we need to anchor ourselves is to God's promise. When Pastor Harold was talking there at the end, and he was believing God and and what he's done, and he's never left you alone, he's never left your side, we need to anchor ourselves to God's promise. And that is so important because you know what? This mind will lie to you. This world will lie to you. 
And if we're not anchored to God's promise, we're going to waver. We're going to sink. We're going to walk away. Hebrews 6, 17 through 18 reads, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. You might immediately think of hope or a dream, right? Of a hope or a dream. As the author tells of Abraham and how he clung to God's promise, you might find the strength to hold on to promises you think God has personally made to you. The author, though, isn't trying to connect you to your dreams, but to God's instead. He wants you to know the promise God made to Abraham is one Christians are recipients of today. We are meant to believe the promise Abraham believed. If we understand the promise God made to him, we will have an anchor for our lives today. So what was the promise God made to Abraham? I'm going to condense it for you. and say That he would have many descendants and that his offspring would bless all nations. Years later, Jesus Christ descended from Abraham as a fulfillment of God's plan to bless the nations through his offspring. And Paul says in Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And when Jesus, the seed of Abraham, came, he brought with him a kingdom without end. Daniel had heard that God would set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. That forever kingdom belongs to Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. So God's promise to Abraham is the promise of a king with a forever kingdom, a savior whose blood would bless people throughout the nations, not just certain people, but all people. In a sense, the promise had to do with a new heaven and earth, the making new of all things. This promise to Abraham is the promise that we as believers cling to today. God's promise is guaranteed. In Hebrews 6, 16 through 17, we read, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to shore more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Various societies produce ways in which the people within them can make meaningful agreements. Oaths, contracts, witnesses, signatures, court systems, all are designed to create a way to make promises and commitments. You can't buy a car or a house on credit without signing contracts, right? You got to sign the contracts or you're not going to get anything. 
and all the companies you're promised to pay. Here, Hebrew tells us, God also made an oath to confirm his promise. He wanted to show more convincingly that his promise would never change, that his plan would unfold, so he made an oath. God confirmed his promise with the oath of his word. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Through, though scripture was written by a variety of authors over 2,000 years, it tells one story in a beautifully harmonious way. Is, its integrity is also attested by specific and detailed fulfilled prophecies that we get to read and see today. God also confirmed his promise with the gospel message. The blood of his only begotten son was a high price to pay for humanity. If Jesus came once and paid such a dear price to secure a people, we can rest assured he will keep his promise and come again as the Lord of all, the Lord of all nations. And lastly, God confirmed his promise with the indwelling presence of his spirit in every believer. When one becomes a Christian, they are born again, born of the spirit. Paul described this deposit of the Holy Spirit as God putting his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The spirit, he wrote, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The presence of God's spirit, it seems, is the principal way God guaranteed he would keep his promise. He made a down payment. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the future kingdom, but also a guarantee that he will bring us into that kingdom. So God's promise is guaranteed. It will come to pass. It is not a pointless hope or faith, a ridiculous waiting. God's kingdom will come. It will come. It's not something we hope for and wish for, you know, like we wish we won the lottery a couple of weeks ago. It's not like that. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is really at hand. We should anchor ourselves to God's promise. Hebrews 6.18 says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God's promise is guaranteed. Two unchangeable things confirm it, his oath, but also his nature. He cannot lie. Some things he cannot do, and one of them is to violate his nature. Therefore, he cannot lie. What God promises must occur. John 14, 2 to 3 says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. It's a promise that he is coming, and it's a promise that's going to come to pass. 
Look, life, I know life is not easy for anyone. Hardships abound, but the believer has a reason for confidence and hope. We know this life is not all there is. This is not it. This life here is temporary. This is not the end all. We know that God is making all things new. He is uniting all things to himself. We know he will bring his kingdom, his new heaven and earth to his people. Though only used as a symbol for hope, the anchor in scripture, anchors were common figures of hope in the ancient world. And anchors are necessary for stormy seas in life, divorce, trauma, ministry disappointments, disease, and fatigue are all endured more effectively when we're connected to the great anchor we have in God's promise. This life and kingdom are not all that there is. Death does not win, right? We think that when death comes, it's over. Death does not win when we're with Christ. We go to be with him, and that promise is certain. Anchors are helpful only when unseen. On the deck of a boat, the anchor doesn't serve to steady the vessel, right? It's just sitting there or wherever they put it on a boat. But when cast into the sea, beyond what the passengers can see, the anchor steadies the ship. Our promise in our Lord, though unseen, are in the perfect place to steady our lives today. In fact, it is only because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father we have such a steadying influence. Only when he went up did his spirit come down. Anchors keep one from drifting. It is not toughness or willpower that makes a Christian endure and last. We can be as tough as we want to be, but that's not what's going to keep us in this race. Instead, it's a deep and vital connection to the promise of God. Hope in his future kingdom and promises enable a believer to steadfastly follow Christ. Anchors normally go down, but our anchor goes up. For this reason, it says, enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This means that our Lord has gone into the real throne room of God in heaven, not here in the temple replicas that we see nowadays. He's there already, and he went as a forerunner, the first to go so that we could go. Abraham was an anchored man who endured because he believed God's promise for his life. He was able to put his hope on all God said would occur. And believers today strive for that same kind of faith. Fears and worries and stresses and pains, oh, they're going to come. They're sure to come. Life is filled with these such things. But perhaps they should point us up behind the veil into God's throne room, anchoring us to God's promise and his kingdom. And lastly, we must anchor ourselves to faith. Those who have been in the race for a long time cling to that hope, that faith. Don't give up on this race that you've been running. You've been running this race for a long time. 
don't give up now. Think of the last runner in the relay, the anchor leg. The anchor leg is the final position in a relay race. Typically, the anchor leg of a relay is given to the fastest or more experienced competitor on a team. The athlete completing the anchor leg of a relay is responsible for making up ground on the race leader or preserving the lead already secured by their teammates. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ has already given us the lead in this. He has gone before us. Hebrews 11, one says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about, we do, about what we do not see. Simply stated, it is taking God at his word, knowing that he is too faithful to fail and will never go back on his promises because he is not a man that he should lie. This is a tough part for me here because I hate to admit it, but we as a people give up way too easily. When we become overwhelmed or think we deserve better, we retreat and we just throw our hands up in the air. I get it. Life may be hard for some. You may have gone through some really hard things and I won't you know, take that away from you. But there are others who have faced some really difficult things in their lives. And they're still persevering. We can't give up so easily because what we're praying about is taking too long. We can't give up because you know, things are happening. I prayed for something that didn't happen the way that I wanted to. You know, my feelings got hurt because someone at church didn't say hi to me or someone at church decided that they're not going to volunteer anymore. You know, my family doesn't want to talk to me. People are judging me. We can't give up because life throws us a curveball. Abraham waited 25 years for his son Isaac to be born. The Lord told him, you will have a son. He waited 25 years for his son to be born. Moses' ministry started when he was 80 years old. Joseph was about 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. We all love the story of Joseph, right? Well, when he was finally delivered, because after slavery, he was in prison, he was about 30 years old. And he never gave up on Jesus. And there's so many other brothers and sisters that have gone before us. We are in the lead because we have God as our forerunner. Don't give up now. Let us anchor ourselves to faith. Amen? Amen. Please watch this video for a moment. Amen. You know, the Christian life is a life of faith, a life of waiting, sometimes including long stretches of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. The early church thought that Christ uh, could return at any moment, and yet still here we are 2,000 years later, still waiting for the full manifestation of Jesus' kingdom. And in our own lives, we wait as God performs his perfect work 
My apologies if you thought that there was no waiting in Christianity. It's not true. We have to wait. If we were still living in biblical times and our lives were still being documented as chapters, we would find a positive correlation in the fact that our coming to Jesus moments are born in complete hopelessness. I've heard stories of people encountering Jesus after losing a loved one, after a divorce, after a business failure. There's something about not relying on your understanding that allows Jesus to perform his best work in your life. One faith story is that of Simon Peter, the fisherman. After his legendary unsuccessful fishing expedition, he encountered Jesus, and with nothing else to lose, he gave in to his seemingly ridiculous command. Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Simon Peter tried to explain to Jesus that he had fished all night and had caught nothing. However, he was able to trust and obey what seemed to him a ridiculous command when he said, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. The Bible goes on to explain that the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. The beautiful lesson here for me is how God honors faith. The Bible is filled with instances where faith has proven itself to be the most important piece of the puzzle. The story of the woman with the issue of blood, who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Her faith was so strong that she touched Jesus in a crowd, and he instantly knew he had performed a miracle. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, they were put in there to perish, but Jesus stood with them before the earth had ever known him to be the Son of God as the fourth man in the fire, and he kept them safe. The story of Daniel in the lion's den, or even the story of Mary and the conception of Jesus Christ. Faith is a steady reminder of who God says he is to us in every situation. He is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. Faith is a place of rest. It creates peace in the thick of the storm. It is in the words, peace, be still. Words that would said then that still matter to this day. Faith is a reliable source of strength and an incredible foundation. Knowing and believing that same God who is equipped with the ability to think of and create this world in its entirety in seven days is the same God in your corner filling you with boldness that makes you feel invincible because that is who is on our side. Faith is an anchor that tethers us when life tries to uproot us. Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily 
entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Consider him. If we take our eyes off of ourselves, if we take our eyes off of our circumstances, if we take our eyes off of those people who are doing things to us and fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross. He endured shame. He endured the opposition from sinners, from sinners. God, Jesus, the son of God, endured all of this and he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. He's amazing. He's amazing. And I know that life gets tough. And it feels like every time I get up here, I cry. But my God is amazing. He is grace. He is promise. And we have to... Anchor ourselves to faith in him. And this morning, if you're here today and you've wondered whether or not you should start a journey with Jesus, I'm going to tell you, yes. Yes. Don't do this life without him. It's too hard to do it alone. Consider him and what he did. It's because of his love and grace that he made a way for you to have eternal life in him. Eternal life, it does not end here. It goes well beyond past this life on the earth. This is eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to take a few moments and consider him. Are you willing today to anchor yourself to God's grace? And for those of you who are here today and you have been on this journey for a little bit and you're feeling discouraged, you've been waiting for God to answer prayers, open doors, move mountains, I want to encourage you today, don't lose hope. Take a few moments right now and consider him who sits at the right hand of the Father. Are you willing today to anchor yourself to God's promise. God's promise for you and me, not your hopes, not your dreams, not your desires, but God's promise for you and God's promise for me. To believe that his word is true, that he is your way maker, your miracle worker, and most definitely your promise keeper. And lastly, for those of you who have been on this journey for a really long time and you're weary You've been fighting that good fight, and it's been tough. I encourage you today, don't give up. We have so many people that have gone before us. We have the lead. 
We know that God has won already. There is a new kingdom at hand. Will you anchor yourself to faith today? When you came in today, you were given a card and a pen. If you did not receive one, raise your hand and we'll have the ushers give that card to you. I want you to write down on that card whatever it is that is hindering you from being anchored to God. Whatever it is, this is between you and him. Write it down on that card. And I'm going to move this back. Because after you've written it down on that card, I want you to come and lay it down here at the altar and allow the blood of Jesus to wash over you today and purify you. So this is a quiet moment. We're not done yet. It's not over. Consider him. Write it down and bring it here and leave it at the altar. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you made a way so that we could come to you, Father God. And today, we come before you, Lord God, saying yes. Lord, we will anchor ourselves to you. Yes, we will anchor ourselves to your grace. Yes, we will anchor ourselves to your promise. And Lord, today, we will anchor ourselves in faith, Father God, believing and trusting in you, our high priest, our king of kings, and our Lord of lords. Father God, we thank you, Lord God. You can stand up. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you this day, Father God. Be magnified, O Lord. Cover us right now with your precious blood, Lord God, and cleanse us, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord God. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. We surrender to you today. We will run this race, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 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 Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.